Uh, Merry Christmas Eve, everybody. So glad you guys decided to join us this morning. I, uh, you get me to host tonight, so here we go. I first want to thank Pastor uh, for giving me this opportunity to be up here Christmas Eve and, first of all, just being a part of your leadership and this church family. You guys are phenomenal. Lindy and I both love you all, and uh, we're excited to see what God does through this uh, season and in our church. But first, I love Christmas. Uh, I love the season. I love the lights, the Christmas, the food. Uh, it's the best part. But uh, something I don't necessarily understand about uh, Christmas is like chestnuts. I don't... Raise of hands. Does anybody roast chestnuts? Does anybody do that? Okay, have another raise of hands. Has anyone gone to the Nutcracker in this holiday season at all? Okay, a little bit. Uh, it's, it's just fun. The whole holiday season, it's phenomenal. Um, but how about, okay, I'm a youth pastor, so I like interaction. One more raise of hands. Your arms are going to get a little tired. Uh, who does two or more Christmases during the holiday season? Okay, keep them up. Three or more? Okay, four. Five. Five. I think five is the max. That's a lot of family. That is a lot of family. But here's the thing is Christmas is all about the miracle of God's gift to us in a swaddling cloth. I mean, we purchase all these gifts. Chris, I think you had five Christmases. We purchase all these gifts for one another, yet God's gift to us was not purchased. Instead, it was his gift that purchased you and me. Amen? So in this season of hustle and bustle and gift giving and gift receiving, I want us to pause and remember the first and greatest gift of Christmas. And tonight, I want to share with you why. Why is Jesus the first and greatest gift of Christmas? To do that, we'll take, I'll steal a little idea from a Christmas classic, uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, pretty sweet. Uh, But instead of Christmas, past, present, future, we're going to talk about Christ, past, present, and future. What has Jesus done for us in the past? What is he doing for us now, and what is he going to continue to do for us in the future? Maybe at the end of this, we will know and remember why Jesus is the greatest gift we could have ever been blessed with. So the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same today and forever. That's pretty awesome because we as humans definitely are not the same yesterday as we were today and as we will be in 5, 10, 30 years. We change every day, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Throughout life, we've got experiences that shape us. We've got temptations that distract us. And Lord, we're listening. We are. We've got experiences that shape us, we've got temptations that distract us, and we've got things that we can't control, like sickness or death or a loss of a job, that cause us to doubt. And so all of these things shape us. And so in tonight's message, in the next 15 or so minutes, uh, let it be a reminder that in the constant... Thanks. You may wait. Okay. In the constant chaos um, of the changes and struggles and just junky situations of life, that the gift of Christ to this world kind of tilts the balance back in our favor. And with all these experiences and fears of the past, present, and future just weighing down on us, Jesus was born to this earth to take that weight from us. And so let's start with Christ in the past. We're going to be in Ephesians 2, start with 1 1 through 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. 
He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. What Paul is saying here is because of our sins and disobedience to God, we were once dead in sin. Yes, we're all humans, and because of that, we will sin. Nobody in this room can say that when, we accept, when you accepted Christ, you just stopped sinning. I mean, it's inevitable. And so, however, the difference is between sinning and living in sin. To live in sin is to go on continuing to act on the temptations of the same sin over and over and over again. And when we do this, the Bible says we are dead in sin because there is no life in disobedience to God. So however we were once dead and lifeless, the great news is Jesus Christ was born on this earth to bring life into a dying world. So though though your past may not be very pretty, Um, You may be ashamed of things in your past. You may be angry at your past. The beauty of Jesus is that if you have accepted him as your Savior, he has forgiven and redeemed us of it all. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. So our old life of sin and disobedience has to die so that a new life, a life more abundant, and free and full of life can live. But to do this, dying to your old self will come with sacrifice. Yes, Christ came and died to give us new life and to save us from a life of sin and disobedience. But because we are human, because Satan will throw all he has at us, we will be tempted and sometimes give in to the way of our old self, the way our old self once lived. So we must die to our old self every day. This means that the things of our old life are put to death, most especially the sinful ways and lifestyles we were engaged in. And we are to do this every day. Dying to our old self is both a one-time thing and a continuous journey, a continuous process. This is why it comes with sacrifice. It takes time. It takes effort. That's also why Matthew 7, 14 says, but the gateway to life is narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever make it. The road of dying to our old self is tough. It is difficult because the reward of life with Christ is so much greater. And so though Jesus did amazing things in our past, let's move on to our present. Jesus Christ in our present. Verses 4 through 6 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead... It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So though we were once dead, now we are now alive in Christ. Being alive in Christ and salvation is based on love, God's love. God does not save people because of our worthiness. Because if that was the case, none of us would be here. We wouldn't make the cut. When we become alive in Christ, we no longer become alienated from him. None of us, or we, but we would become united with him. I just read in, in verse 6, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. 
To go from dead in sin to alive and united with Christ means that we had to go through some sort of life transformation. John talks about having been passed from death to life. And how could anyone pass from death to life and not experience some sort of life-transforming excitement? Do you think that when Jesus raised Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead and he passed from, life to, or from death to life, do you think he sat around bored and monotonous all day long? Doubtful. Doubtful. He had to have been excited and pumped for the amazing power of being alive in Christ. I think a lot of times, especially as Christians, and if we've lived this life of following Christ for such a long time, we tend to forget the excitement or lose that excitement of what it truly means today to be alive in Christ. Because think about it. In our past, when we were dead to sin, if we can just remember that and then know where we are now, alive in Christ, how can we not get excited for that? So yes, we are now alive in Christ, but being alive comes with obedience. If we are united with Jesus, we can let him guide and direct our life. We can give up control and just say, okay, God, do with me what you want. I trust with you with my today. I will do whatever it is that you ask me to do. I will live out in obedience. That's what's so great about living a life of obedience to Jesus. If I can live obedient to his plan for me, and I allow him to guide my life, he will be able to direct me through whatever situation and whatever struggle that I'm in today. He can do that for you too. In the here and now, today, are you letting Jesus guide you? Guide you in the making of the right decisions. Guide you in parenting. Guide you in the workplace. We are alive in Christ, and if we believe he is who he says he is, then why wouldn't we trust him with our today? So Christ in our past, we were dead to sin, and dying to our old self requires sacrifice. Christ in our present, we are alive, and we have to live out in obedience. What about Christ in our future? What is Christ in our future? Ephesians 7 says, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. His promises will be revealed. Okay? In all future ages, his promises will be revealed. How many of you guys know that it is hard, and actually, let me rephrase that. How many of you know that it is not hard to promise the impossible? It's not very hard to promise the impossible. I could stand up here, pull an open one free, and say, you guys are all going home with new cars. Merry Christmas. It'd be pretty sweet. But then I could finish my message. I could walk off stage, and we could all go home in our same cars. It's not hard to promise the impossible, but it's hard to receive an impossible promise. It's hard for you guys to sit there and say, okay, I don't think this guy gets paid enough to buy us all cars. I'm not tithing that much. It's hard to receive the impossible. But it's hard to receive an impossible promise because our ability to receive promises is based off of past experiences of many times letdowns and disappointments. But show me in this collection of books when God ever did not come through on his promises. Show me in here where God promised something and did not follow through with it. We can't base our, our disappointments of human promises, and we can't let that determine if we 
allow God's promises to be fulfilled in our life. We need to trust his promise because he has never given us an example and a reason not to. Isaiah 7.14 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. One of Jesus' titles, Emmanuel, promises God is with you. God is with me. He's with us. We need to step into our future believing that Jesus is right there with us, next to us, saying, hey, I'm right here. You can do it. That promise that I have for you, I'm right here to walk with you through it and walk with you to it. His promises will be revealed in your life, but here's the kicker. is His promises come with work. Where else do we see uh, God's prom- when God promises someone something and he says, I'll be with you? Many, many different examples, but one that comes to my mind is when the Israelites were going into the promised land. In the Old Testament, before Jesus, God promised the Israelites a certain area of land. The problem was, it was already occupied by some people. People didn't believe in God and didn't follow God. Now God told them, I promise you this land. I promise you, you have my full assurance that by the time this is all done, this is yours. All you got to do is march forward. All we have to do when God promises us something is put the work in. We've got to move forward into that promise. God will say, don't worry, I'll be with you the whole time. You just have to trust me and move forward into that promise. Put the work in, because if you put the work in, I promise you that will come true. And like I said, when in here has God ever given us a reason not to trust his promises? I don't have your podium, so I couldn't put this up here with it. I think sometimes we wait for God to bring his promises directly to us. To our couch sofa while we're sitting here waiting for the promises to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, we get upset and wonder why nothing happened. Why, God, did your promise not come true in my life? If we put the work in and we trust the promises God has for us in the future, they will come true and they will be revealed. Sure enough, the Israelites put the work in. They moved forward. God was with them the whole time. Promised land. And so as we discuss this, Christ in our past and how we were dead in sin, and he forgave us of that. And then Christ in our present, in our today, in our here and now, are we letting him guide us through our struggles and our situations? And then dreaming of a future, trusting God for us to have a better future. As we discuss this and as we go through that, I want us to realize that when we go into Christmas tomorrow and wrap up this whole Christmas season, Let us never, ever forget what Christ did for us in our past, what he is doing for us in our present, in our today, and what he will do for us in our future. In a second, I'm just going to give an opportunity to respond to this gift of Jesus Christ as this this gift given to us. But remember, Jesus is the game changer. He tilts the scales back of the heaviness and weight on our shoulders back into a life of hope, a life of salvation and freedom. It is because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever that your past does not have to 
determine your situations and your struggles now. Jesus can guide you through them. And the situations and struggles you are in now does not have to determine the future that you might think is going to happen in 5, 10, however many years. Because God's promised you something. So if everyone could bow their heads right now as we close up tonight. Jesus forgave you of your past. He guides you in your present and promises you a much better future. But out of this journey, out of those three things that make up this journey of life following Jesus, it all starts with him forgiving you. Because Jesus cannot guide you in your present or promise you a future if you're still dead and lifeless now. So if you would like to receive this gift, if you want Jesus Christ to forgive you of the past things you have done in your life so that he can guide you through whatever you're going through now, he can promise you a much better future, I'm going to ask that you go ahead and lift up your hand. I see you. All right, you can go ahead and put your hands down. Keep your heads bowed, and if everyone could repeat after me, um, but especially those that lifted up their hands, this, what we're about to do is just a verbal declaration of our allowing Christ to come into our life. And there's nothing magic about these words, but it's a verbal proclamation to say, I am going to follow you, Jesus. And so if you bow your heads and everyone repeat after me, Jesus, thank you for all that you have done in our lives. Jesus, I am sorry for my past mistakes, my disobedience to you. Right now, Lord, in this Christmas season, I welcome you into my heart. I ask that you would forgive me of all these things I've done. Jesus, I want you to guide me in my today. And I'm ready for your promise of the future. In your name, everybody said, amen.